The problem with innovation is that when we talk about serious innovation, we cannot have any evidence before we will have a prototype ready or MVP that already can be used by the users so people can, can play with it. So you can start collecting the basic data and the prototype, usually by prototype, we mean some kind of a clickable solution that we can already play with. Uh, so the users could could at least have a theoretical understanding of what you have in mind. It might not work like you intended yet, but at least you can get some basic feedback. And surprisingly, government organizations all over the world typically are, are not good at creating these two initial stages, prototype and MVP stage, to start collecting this hard data and research maybe even to see the value of these approaches. Hello and welcome to EdTech and Pancakes, a podcast by Dream Apply about paradigm shifts in education. I'm your host Razmik Sargassian and in this podcast we will explore the ever-evolving landscape of education with leading experts from around the world. For example, we will speak about international education and digitization of learning. We will discuss evidence-based principles for universities in terms of student enrollment, marketing, finance and a lot more to help university teams get more done with less effort. We will explore the burgeoning world of AI in education and discuss mental health challenges facing our educational communities. As you can probably guess from the name of the podcast, EdTech and Pancakes, we want to have fun while having these conversations and make sure it's fun for you as well. Thank you for tuning in, subscribe to EdTech and Pancakes and share this podcast with other people that you feel would benefit from it. We're going to cover a lot of ground in terms of ed tech. So we plan to speak about multiple aspects, marketing, university admissions, how AI is influencing it, and so much more on the podcast. You're a great person to ask this question. How how do you define even ed tech? What, what are the questions that you think are within the scope or maybe should be within the scope and aren't? That's a good question. And um, the short answer is that every, every source of technology that somehow creates value in education, uh, in my view, can be a tech. Uh, but it's also a question of who is building something and, and how they feel that more appropriate in, in the segmentation, because uh, we have a lot of uh, technologies that are creating value not only in education, but also in some other fields. And of course, then uh, they, uh, this kind of uh, creators can uh, can choose uh, if they want to be an edtech more, or if they they feel that they're more I don't know medtech, and uh, and it's okay. So it's a uh, it's today I would say say still that it's a bit loosely kind of defined term, and maybe it's not even necessary to define it more uh, more stronger. Mm. But this reminds me that I wanted to elaborate more on why why entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. uh, like because edtech, primarily when we talk about edtech, we consider private sector startups, um, which is kind of it's it's not really true. Um, we could consider any technologies that are creating value in education edtech, also government uh, uh, led or NGO led. But what I uh, would like to usually see is um, innovations, and uh, by innovation I mean we are trying to look usually at an old problem with a new lens yeah. and seeing how we could uh, use these principles of scalability and sustainability uh, in uh, making sure that, that we can solve this problem for everybody globally. 
once and for all, basically. And and when there is a lot of people that maybe haven't thought about how many challenges there are in education. Education is a massive field. It's uh, economically, it's one of the largest fields uh, that we are our GDP is running into. Uh, so about seven trillion dollars globally. It's, oh. These these numbers are so humongous that it's impossible to probably compare it with any anything kind of reasonable. It uh, it can be usually if you look at the country size, four to six percent of the GDP is going to education sector, which is one of the largest expenditures for for a government. And and the challenge, of course, is that. Um, we know that we could do so much better with uh, uh, the quality of, uh, let's say, approaches or or teaching with, uh, what we are offering. There is massive amount of new modern research, neurosciences, psychology that um, uh, we are not using yet in in the education as a whole. And some of uh, the, this research is actually already 100 years old, and it's still new mm. compared to the education system. <laughs> so, um, um, but yeah, we can we can debate the education system and why it is like it is as well. Uh, but uh, but maybe this is a topic for another uh, session. What I want to go back to for for a moment is why entrepreneurship, because uh, I've been evaluating for a long time uh, various approaches. Or uh, and what I'm looking for primarily is that we can we could have cheap enough uh, solutions at the same time with a very high quality. Because I mean, when we think logically, as a parent, I would of course like to have my child the best possible education. Mm -hmm. There is no question about hey, let's let's have average quality education. I'm I'm fine with this. I mean, all of the parents normally think that hey, I want to have the best possible quality education. And when you're looking at software development, then software is a funny animal. You can um, you can make very big differences in the let's say technological choices that you're making when you're deciding upon a software. And if you're making like very high quality oriented. Uh, option like cho choices, then the problem can be that your solution is becoming super expensive. And if you're making low quality choices for your uh, for your uh, technological development, then you might have low quality solution in the end, and nobody wants to use it. So it's a, it's always a balancing act. Um, so how 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 can we really have an optimum technology? Uh, that is maybe enough proven, that is actually suitable for achieving the goals that we have as an innovator. And why I'm talking about this is uh, that it becomes tremendously important when we want to uh, develop a new education solution. And uh, it becomes important because if you, uh, if you want to do this, these innovations, you need to have access to the right support team, like the right team members that are able to help you make these really maybe complex decisions. Because if you already have opted for a technology, it can be a lot of work to get out of this technology later. So what I've noticed when I'm looking at, like maybe I've looked at hundreds, uh, maybe 500 different education innovation projects that are somehow using, usually they are somehow using technology, not always, modern technology, uh, meaning IT, some kind of programming, uh, some kind of 
uh, screens maybe connected to this technology. It's always it's not always necessary. Uh, it depends on what exactly what problem we are wanting to tackle. And now, if I'm comparing these various initiatives in various sectors, then if you go to an NGO type of setup, it is possible to set up also a, a sustainable business model in an NGO that will be able to support the team. So it's totally doable. But what I'm usually seeing is that um, uh, it's not done. So you are not able to have a sustainable maintenance and development team to help you to develop this uh, software, but theoretically doable. So when we go to public sector, like uh, government institutions, for example, if you opt to go to the Ministry of Education to work there, uh, to try to fulfill your dream of uh, fixing some some challenge in education with help of technology, let's say, then what you very often face is that you cannot set up the team that you need to realize this uh, vision. And the reason is usually connected to the way that these organizations uh, are built. Government organizations are not typically built for supporting innovation, unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know. Uh, so the benefit of, of having this kind of government uh, in institutions that don't support innovation very well is that you have very stable organizations uh, and, and stability is, is, of course, very good in, in many, many aspects. So it's necessary uh, to have it. But um, if, you, if you really have, have an innovative mindset, then you might be suffering in uh, this kind of setting. You might get light, very lucky. There are really great exceptions, of course, but I'm talking about uh, my general kind of yeah. gut feeling. It's not even based on research. Although there are people that are researching these things as well, really good books. So, And, and you might also be suffering because of the bureaucracy. Uh, and, and very often you would be asked for providing evidence before you have even built anything. The problem with innovation is that uh, when we talk about serious innovation, we cannot have any evidence uh, before we will have a prototype ready or MVP. Um, MVP meaning a minimum viable product yeah. that already can be used uh, by the users. So people can can play with it. But um, so you can start collecting the basic data. And the prototype, uh, usually by prototype, we mean uh, some kind of uh, a clickable solution that we can already play with. Uh, so the users could could at least uh, have a theoretical understanding of what you have in mind. It might not work uh, like you intended yet, but um, but at least you can get some basic feedback. And surprisingly, government organizations all over the world typically are are not good at um, creating these two initial stages: prototype and MVP stage um, to to start collecting this uh, this uh, hard data and the research uh, maybe even to see the value of, uh, of these approaches. Yeah, you, you must have really the stars aligned to, to get um, this kind of uh, things done. And, and often it takes years. Um, whereas when you go to a startup kind of setting, then uh, it's just a matter of you being able to convince the right potential team members that, hey, let's build a prototype for this idea. Let's see if it works. And then it's only your responsibility. So this can be done over one weekend, for example, with a mini hackathon. Uh, and you don't even need uh, a real hackathon. You, you just, you just uh, agree with your, I don't know, friends or however you call your partners. 
uh, that, hey, let's, this is important. Let's try. Maybe you can make the world a little bit better for, for, for this group of, uh, of people, teachers or learners usually. This, this is the reason why um, startups actually in any sector are the most appropriate vehicle for trying out new uh, ideas of, of solving old problems. And uh, of course, there are, there are many challenges also with startups. You, in a government organization, you might have a salary uh, that, that you can support your family with. In a startup, you might not have a salary in the beginning. Uh, you might not have a salary for three, four, five years in the beginning because you don't make enough income uh, to um, to cover the cost of uh, of your own salary. And and this is very often the time it takes to develop uh, high quality enough um, innovation that uh, that people are really love and are willing to to pay for. Um, uh, so you could you could uh, actually start. Uh, covering the salary costs of, of your team members. And very often we have seen actually uh, teams that are staying in another job. For example, I don't know, uh, one uh, friend of mine is um, was working as a marketing manager at uh, a bigger company for uh, quite a few years before they were able to start uh, paying themselves a salary in their education startup that actually has now hundreds of thousands of users, and and yeah, it's a it's kind of a funny, funny balancing act uh, making these choices. Now there are certain areas with what you don't want to touch with startups. So if you if you need very hardcore base research or basic research, then universities have so much more opportunities in making this happen usually than startups because of uh, they they have special funding opportunities available. Um, or if you are wanting to solve a very critical, uh, like a business critical problem to large organizations, this might not be a very, uh, very beneficial um, idea to to start working as a startup. But um, but if we talk about um, what we call end user solutions, for example, a teacher would need a new methodology for teaching multiplication table, uh, then. And you have an idea of how to make this ten times more more effective methodology uh, than is there at the moment in schools. Then this might be a, a pretty good place to try to to build a startup. It's so fascinating, and uh, there's so much in your pointers. I, I was I was so curious that I didn't want to interrupt it at all. And as someone that has worked in the nonprofit and government sector, I can totally resonate with the lack of scalability in that sense. And what you pointed to reminded me of this broader philosophical discussion of altruism versus hedonism, altruism being the idea that you should do things for greater good than hedonism being the opposite. But what if actually uh, there is a sweet spot where these are the same in a way? Uh, so the best version of yourself it, the one that's best for you is also the best for the society. And it seems like edtech and start successful startups kind of fall into that area. But I wanted to go a little bit beyond edtech and tackle education a little bit more generally. What would you say is most misunderstood about education as a concept or as a, as a function in the society? Amazing question. There's probably a, a lot of things that, that we could discuss under this kind of headline. What's the first thing that comes to mind as the most misunderstood thing? Well, I, I had a feeling that one of the misunderstood things 
for a lot of people is that um, that what I see happening very much is that people are just trusting this, let's say, the system. Mm. So lack of uh, questioning, without questioning, yeah. So um, and 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 maybe uh, yeah, just to. Uh, elaborate this a little bit. Uh, so what, what I see very much happening is that a lot of people uh, believe that the system has been developed by such group, uh, great experts, which is often the case, actually. But it doesn't matter how, how good of an expert you are. You, you always see your own uh, angles uh, of, of such a big uh, system. And and for, for most parents uh, who rely on the system, it's, it, it kind of looks like this, that you're bringing your child um, in front of the school and the child kind of needs to walk in there. And this is where you can uh, kind of put your hands up and say that, hey, I've, I've done my, my, my part's done. I, I brought my child here. But uh, in reality, there is so many things with education that the parents can um, help to, to do to make sure, uh, like improve the chances of, of having a better learning experience for their child and the better support system for the teachers. Um, so, and and what I what I see more happening today is that um, there are parents that have maybe read a few articles um, about um, about modern understanding, maybe uh, an article about uh, neuro some neuro uh, neuroscientific research on on how a human brain works. And then uh, they they start criticizing in their mind, uh, or even going to the teachers and, and starting to teach the teachers how to do their work. And of course, this is not uh, pro productive. Usually, it's not a productive way of uh, of approaching these questions at all. And um, <clears throat> I've been working um, together a bit with the uh, European Parents Union um, uh, on on these questions and. Um, they, I, I think they have really good ideas there, uh, trying to teach parents about, um, uh, for example, coaching methodologies uh, instead of going and Beautiful. demanding teachers uh, of changing the way that they, they do something with the kids. They are uh, trying to teach the parents how to ask nice questions. Hey, is there something that I can support you with? Um, and and then not uh, not really backing down uh, because teachers are also used to manage pretty much alone, and the way that we are educating teachers today very often is not uh, not leading towards a lot of uh, teaching about teamwork and um, and how to engage other people, how to get help from colleagues, for example. These things are usually not covered at all in the curriculum of teacher training, whereas. In education system in 21st century context, we kind of anticipate that this is there, that uh, that the the teachers know how to teach the kids a meaningful teamwork uh, kind of setting, and and uh, in in most cases that I've seen, it's it's not there. So, and this brings us, of course, to a wider discussion again, like what is the what is the meaning of education in 21st century or what is the purpose of education in 21st century and and, uh, and i'm i'm finding myself more and more behind tables where where i, I have the feeling that I, I need to bring this topic up uh and, and these tables it, it can be very high level discussions like a world bank or yeah fun fact world bank is investing 
five billion dollars a year in education development uh, globally. So it's it's a very big player, and uh, at the same time, uh, there is so many things that we could support this this uh, organizations with. Uh, so the money would have a more like more big impact in, uh, in wh where it's being invested. Then, um, of course, often I also see uh, this kind of discussions with European Commission, which is pretty pretty interesting. I mean, as this is an, maybe another angle that people uh, anticipate that uh, everything is kind of done by experts everywhere, but um, uh, but uh, it's difficult with with these large organizations always to to get the right expertise into the right um, places at the right time where these decisions need to be made of, uh, for example, uh, how billions of euros are being invested. Uh, and um, so I've seen I've seen projects where where you really invest billions, maybe even tens of billions of, of dollars and have almost like almost no impact. There is no changes happening. And and not only, of course, by government organizations, but also by large private foundations. Mm -hmm. um, so um, and you and and uh, sometimes these um, these outcomes are are not as expected um, because we had um, like a let's say wrong um, expectation towards the the things that we we want to do. And of course, it's okay. We we uh, we need to have the possibility to to take risks um, and um, and maybe uh, I mean, if the biggest risk is that we might not get the impact that we wanted, uh, then it's it's it doesn't look like a very big loss. Uh, of course, there is a loss of opportunity uh, always. So if we would have used the same resources. Uh, in in a different way, we might have had much much bigger impact. Uh, but as we discussed before, in kind of large organizations or government organizations, it sometimes is very difficult to to do um, experimentation uh, in a meaningful way. Um, it, like what what I mean by meaningful is that you really are quickly trying out your hypothesis, uh, like getting the right expertise together to build. Uh, a new prototype over the weekend and and then um, uh, kind of running some research on it to see if uh, if it provides the value that that you're looking for. but but this is how the world works. it's 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 not perfect uh, most of the time. Yeah, uh, I mean, and I really resonate with what you just pointed to. It takes so much time for for governments to receive feedback and then reflect it in something new or various in the spectrum of entrepreneurship. And edtech is just because these organizations are actually dependent on the results for their survival. This has to be a continuous loop. And also, this reminds me of, you know, the saying that sometimes A students end up working in companies managed by B students that are owned by C students. I mean, it's a joke, but the metaphor in that for me is sometimes when you're just overthinking it so much that you don't you don't create an MVP out there so that you get data and you keep on working on different iterations, then it's really hard to progress further. Yeah, maybe for, as an academic pursuit it is, but in terms of generating meaningful change, it's quite uh, challenging. Thank you for tuning into EdTech and Pancakes. 
Check out the third part of the conversation with Matt in the next episode where we speak about the complexities faced by universities in terms of admissions, collaboration between different teams and other areas of work. For more resources, make sure to visit dreamapply.com. If you are a university representative looking to optimize your student enrollment, marketing and other processes, you can book a free demo of DreamApply's application management software and check it out for yourself. This is EdTech and Pancakes, I'm Razmik Sargassian and we'll be back with another episode soon. Goodbye.